figure in the information age, but facts are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth. With FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals Podcast. Wherever you are, thank you very much for making us part of your day. If you're on the Rumble, in the Rumble chat, the channel is rumble.com slash amradpod. While you're there, make sure that you are following the show, giving us a thumbs up. Subscribe to the show if, you're, if your heart moves you to do so. All that goes to support the content we're doing. And if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and iHeart, Make sure that you subscribe so that you will automatically get the downloads of the show. We come to you every Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday. Noon Eastern time is when we live stream, but you can always go back and enjoy the catalog. And I'm getting notified, people. Uh, you were going back and watching some of the older episodes of Garrett O'Boyle and myself, Real Steve Friend, and the discussions that we've had. As we're endeavoring to move through into 2024, we're trying to bring you guys some new content, not just the the who, what, and the where, but we want to get into the why and the how, and we're going to try to push on some of uh, some some more history going forward and some reading, and we're going to try to expand our horizons, and, and we're going to do that today. We have a special guest, uh, but before we get to her, we want to make sure that we do our, our one OG sponsor for the show and acknowledge them, and that is TrueEarth.co, TrueEarth.co. You don't need the M on this one. Folks, go there, and if you use the exclusive promotion code for our show, AMRAD24, you will get 10% off their full catalog. They have great uh, great fertilizer for your home garden, and then they have supplements for your body. So let's all get healthy there. I have been on the regimen now for a little over five weeks and have definitely noticed it. It's helped a lot with the inflammation. The, the turmeric has been outstanding, and I continue to hit the lion's mane as well because I want to keep my cognitive abilities going and the mushrooms because we're in that time of year here where uh, the weather's kind of nasty outside. Even in my humble abode of Florida, it get a little bit chilly. People get colds, get the head colds, and I want to stay strong so I can make sure that I don't miss a single episode of the American Radicals podcast. So make sure you go to trueearth.co, see what they got there. Use AMRAD24. Special guest today, it is a uh, is an author, a survivor of the, the Cultural Revolution of Mao's China, and she immigrated to the United States and is uh, a harbinger for, for her experiences uh, for, from her youth and now in the United States, seeing some of the some of the same storylines, not necessarily repeating, maybe rhyming. And she wrote a book about that, which we will get into. And I want to bring her on, Miss G Van Fleet. Thank you very much for joining us today on the American Radicals podcast. How are you? Okay, thank you so much for having me. You have a really really interesting story and a, a wonderful background. And you kind of came to national prominence. You spoke out in, in Virginia when uh, the school boards were having all the parents come in when they were seeing what was what was part of the curriculum. And there was a lot of unrest. And you had a viral moment. And that's really how you came to the popular or to the to the public eye. Uh, and then uh, looked back into your history because of of your experiences growing up as a youth in in the Mao China when the CCP was on the ascendance uh, and brought that to come pass. And then had now been able to see and to take take stock of what you're seeing in America, uh, 
said, hey, uh, I'm seeing a lot of the hallmarks of what happened in my youth happen again. So seeing it happen once and now twice, you have a very unique perspective. Um, mm -hmm. and I'd like to dig into that a little bit with you. Can you just kind of give this audience a background on, on where you came from um, and, and, and what brought you to our shores as an American citizen? Yes, I'll make it short because it can take a lot of time. But anyway, I was uh, uh, born in, uh, I always say, I was born into the slavery of communism. It's not my choice to choose communism. And so I grew up in Mao's China when I was in my first grade. Uh, that was 1966. The Cultural Revolution started. It started and then lasted for 10 years until 1976 when Mao died. So I remember as a little girl, you know, at seven, and that took place kind of overnight. And of course, it's it, it's not the case, but it's my memory because overnight, everything turned upside down and the school was closed. One day we went to the classroom and, uh, and there was a sign um, writing on the wall and the teacher said, there's no class for three days. And that three days turned into two years. Uh, why? Because, um, kids, actually the kids, uh, ousted the school administrators and teachers, and there's there's no school, there was just chaos. So what I did, and of course, we're, our parents are caught up in the same thing in their workplace. So we were uh, not supervised. So we just went to the street and really took the uh, front seat, uh, watching uh, the Cultural Revolution unfolding. And, uh, and we watched Everything from uh, um, dismantling of statues, um, changing the uh, street names, institutional names, and personal names, and all that things that now are familiar to the Americans, and that is called cancel culture. But in China, it was called uh, destruction of the four olds, old idea, old uh, culture, old custom, and old habits. Everything was turned upside down. So when I finally graduated from high school, there's nothing for us, uh, for the young people uh, in cities. And we were all sent to the countryside to get re-educated by the peasants. And so I was sent to the countryside and work in the fields with peasants for three long years until uh, Deng Xiaoping took part and we were allowed to go back and we were allowed to uh, take in, uh, examinations to go to college because college was pretty much closed during the Cultural Revolution. And I was able to go to college at the age of 19 and to study English. And eventually I was able to um, come to America and to pursue my uh, graduate studies. That was 1986. So a lot there. Uh, and and you, you kind of brushed over one thing that I, I wanted to, to drill down with you on, um, the four olds, olds, O-L-D-S. Uh, mm -hmm. can, can we work through our way through each one of those and, and what they are um, and, and, and sort of how Mao and the CCP went about trying to tear those down? And then I think that that will uh, be uh, very illusory towards what we're seeing today in the United States. Uh, so the four olds, what's, what's the first one? Um, I I don't uh, know the exact order, but I think the first is uh, uh, old ideas, old, old ideas. culture, old habits, and old customs. 
So basically summarize the uh, traditional Chinese culture and Chinese civilization. And so, and they need to be destroyed. Why? Remember, it is a revolution. It's a culture revolution. And it's not like a movement. It's not, it's a, a revolution that has to destroy the, uh, um, the current social order and everything that the foundation of the uh, um, and of a society, so everything has to go, and 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 that's exactly what's going on today. The cancel culture is not canceling a person, but the idea. And what is the idea? If you go far enough, it is the idea of the founding of this country, and so that's what happened. And what is old, and who are the revolutionaries? And that's important uh, to uh, to understand. The revolutionaries in the Chinese Cultural Revolution were not soldiers, were not military personnel. They were the kids. They were the Red Guards. They were the uh, kids from um, elementary school to universities. And so it's fifth, you know, similar to what's uh, going on today. The young people, the social justice warriors. So they were sent to destroy everything so that Mao can replace uh, the uh, old uh, water with his new water, which is Maoism, the most radical uh, version of Marxism. So the kids don't have like an exact idea; they just anything old. So they 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 decide what is old. So they destroy first. They go after the uh, um, the statues in the temples. Mostly the statues were the Buddhist statues. They destroy the statues, burned temple down and then they go after names traditional names like street names institution names even the brand names for food all changed to be up to date to be politically correct and um, and also they destroy uh, and after they destroy everything in the public they said we have to get all those things in in uh, um in at homes they were hidden. So they had launched this um, campaign of really, it's it's no no other better word, it's looting. So they went homes from home to home to get all the things they consider uh, old and took them away and destroy a lot. So that was total, total chaos. And that was only the beginning. Eventually, uh, violence descended. And during the Cultural Revolution, up to 20 million people lost their lives. So obviously we can see the parallels of what we've experienced in this country in the last three, four years or the destruction of the of the monuments and the statues yes. we've covered down on this on, the, on this program, did a long form discussion about the William Penn statue and how you didn't even have an excuse for that one. You couldn't even say, well, this is Robert E. Lee and he was a Confederate general and the Confederates like slavery. You can't even do it to Thomas Jefferson, even though he authored the Declaration of Independence, the, the man had slaves so we need to cancel him entirely we can't uh, obviously in this country we can't have scars we can't have a an 18th and a 21st amendment we need to erase anything that was bad and then always have what's going forward and on top yeah. of that you now have the uh, the the ideas that we, that we have to do away with within the names that we have to do away with the the brand names uh, Aunt Jemima. Food name, remember, you know, like uh, it's exactly, it's not really rhymes. It's history repeating. It's repeating. Sometimes it's just almost like a, um, to exactly. It's, 
you talked about something in the book, and I want to make sure that I bring this up. That your your book is called Mao's America, and uh, and folks can get a copy of it on Amazon and all major booksellers. Uh, Mao's America, a survivor's warning. I read through it. It is is a fantastic read because you do a good job of also connecting the dots as we're connecting them now, and then have your own personal reflections on your own experiences. And I would encourage everyone to make sure you go and get a copy of Mal's America because we're going to hardly do it justice in the, in the limited time that we have here. Uh, but I, I think that uh, one of the earliest things that you talk about in the book is it, not just repeating the rhyming. And that is the difference between the curriculum that we see in schools. Because here we have, in not just schools, but in the professional workplace, critical race theory. Yeah. And you contrast that with class conflict theory that yes. existed in Mao's China. What is class conflict theory? Yeah, it is really class struggle. Yeah. So that's, you know, always remember communism is all about division because it depends on division of people in order to set them against each other, in order to control them. So division is a core feature of uh, Marxism and communism. And so how did uh, the CCP divide people? It's by class and it's called class struggle. It is the classic Marxist class struggle. So um, what class? The haves and have nots. And that's kind of easy to, uh, to divide. So from the very, very beginning, their uh, attraction um, to a lot of the uh, Chinese is follow me, and I will, I will help you. I will help you to get free land from the uh, the landlord. So their supporters were uh, were the ninety, almost ninety five percent of the population, which was the peasants. And so, and then as soon as the uh, um, seized power, they did um, implemented the land reform, which turned out to be a bloody bloody uh, revolution of uh, setting the peasants and fight against the landlord to confiscate their land and get all their properties and then many of the landlord get executed so and that is not it that is only the beginning because that was uh since then every chinese get uh, identity and there are just two basically two identities um a black class identity and a red class identity then you can kind of figure out red means good. Red means you're the allies of the revolution and the black means you're the enemy of the revolution. And at that more, uh, at that time, the black class um, reserved for people who absolutely own something, own land or own property. And, and that's not it. And that become part of you. And that's something you pass down to your children and your children's children. Does this sound familiar, Americans? Then now you are born white and you're born a racist. It's, it's just nothing you can do. You're just born guilty. And so, but that black class and the red class division lasted. That is how they carry out their revolution. So eventually the, uh, there's no class anymore, right? All the people, uh, the haves have uh, become uh, class. Um, they lost everything. So they're no longer uh, the exporting class. But it doesn't matter. They still reserve um, that uh, uh, label. But this time, it's applied to those 
who think like they have um, the uh, um, the rich class or the uh, um, the exploiting class. You may have nothing, but if you think the wrong way, you're now labeled as a black class. And the same thing happened. And then you pass that label to your children and children's children. So that is how they divide Americans. I think by now, you know, listeners, your listeners can figure out how they do that in America. Identity. It's always about identity. That's how they divide people. And there's a lot there. I, uh, we had Mike Waller come on the program and talk about his book, Big Intel. And the, the, this conversation went from the the idea that we sort of taught were taught in school where we read Animal Farm and the the proletariat and the pro and the bourgeoisie is very yes. it's class based, it's uh, economic. And but because in America we we don't really have that traditional class struggle, they actually had to go to the earlier versions of Marxism, which was the, the cultural Marxism. And mm -hmm. it is I described it as almost water that sort of seeps into a stone, the cracks in the stone, and then when it freezes, it hopes to shatter the rock. And and the the cracks that we have in our society are based in race because we have this this history with uh, with slavery and with civil rights struggles. And now they've they've gotten into those cracks, and that's not enough because that's not enough. Early, that's early in my, when I was in school, uh, we we were talking about this last week when we were talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. That that mm -hmm. nonsense. Uh, when I was in school in the late '90s, early 2000s, race was not a thing. We were there was there was not the angst that people had, and uh, we were going to school and, and we sort of had transcended that. Um, so they had to look for something new. Uh, yes. They had to gin the race angle back up, but at the same mm -hmm. time, they also had to find something else, which is now they're getting into the, the I call them the LMNOP mafia. So it's the the gay, the the lesbian, the transgender. It's any, your hammer and nail. Yeah. And a woman and a man and even able-bodied uh, versus uh, the uh, disabled. And I'm talking about the 90s, that's when I came here, you know, I came here at 86 and I was in school until 90s. And I remember I was amazed. I said, America is just a great country because uh, when I, uh, the time that I came to um, America, China was still really suffering from the uh, aftermath of uh, the Cultural Revolution, that people were so divided, people just absolutely at each other's throat and the people have no trust of each other. And I came here, I said, well, you know, in this country, we have people of all sorts of ethnic uh, a ground, a background and they get along and I was so amazed. And I saw how it happened. It become worse and worse and worse. And until now, today it's just back to the cultural revolution that we are at each other's throat. I I was when I was reading the part where you came to America and the things that were immediately apparent to you about there were differences in our society compared to what the society you had experienced. And you said how uh, everyone has an opinion and we, we sort of it's, it's it's actually viewed as a negative now. It's like, well, everybody's opinions are like armpits. We all got them and they all stink. Yeah, and you yeah. were just blown away about how everyone felt free to, to have weigh in on yeah. different things versus where you came from, uh, where there was no choice. There was what? Why would you have an opinion? You were not yeah. you were told what to think. Yeah, we were told what to think. And uh, we were told exactly that we need to unite our thought. We need to be one people, one thought. What thought? Mao Zedong thought. 
And that's what we should, we should all become uh, um, robots. Thinking is not necessary because we just think what Mao asks uh, or requires us to think. Yeah, exactly. And here's a diversity of thought, which is totally lost today. And it's diversity of skin colors, a diversity of uh, identities. I pointed out when we were talking about the diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, mind virus that's going through uh, all of our society, how it's it's very interesting to me that you go to university, and in Latin, it means one truth. And by essence, diversity means many truths, which is the, the Oprah Winfrey, my truth. And if everyone has their own truth, then there actually isn't something that's verifiably true that we can set our, our compass to. There's no North Star. Uh, I, I was really struck by you know, reading your experience, how much education, how, how you value it. And, and you saw that as the, the road to having a successful life. Can you talk to me about how growing up in China, that that was uh, to you the, the the way to be successful and then contrast that with coming to America? And is, is do you think that that the college degree uh, is is still a way for for people to be successful or, or is there something else here because of, the, of our of our culture? Is it maybe different? Yes, actually, traditionally, Chinese culture absolutely value education the most. And they, there's all sorts of sayings and that the success is uh, uh, in the books, that you read the books and the books will take you to be successful. And in, in the, uh, um, Asian China, there is this imperial examination uh, system that anyone, anyone, no matter uh, your class or your background, you could take the examination and if you pass, you'll get a civil service job, which was highly valued. So that's why the Chinese people really, really uh, value uh, education, but not in doing the um, uh, CCP's uh, uh, China, not under Mao. Mao said, the more you're educated, the more reactionary you are, because the more educated you are, you might asking questions. And so he devalue education and he absolutely uh, hate uh, young people to spend all this time in the classroom. They want to go out and do the revolution. So he cut the 12-year 12, uh, 12 uh, school system into 10. It should be K to 12. He cut it uh, so that I only had 10 years of education and then two years were gone because there was no school. So I only had eight years of full education, which is not education. It is all indoctrination. And so what's going on today in America is absolutely like what I happened to, to me uh, in, in China. And uh, the academic uh, study was uh, decentered, totally not important. The most important thing is to study Mao Zedong thought, to be a revolutionary, to be the uh, a good successor of the communist cause and so we, we were uh, taught and we have a uh, song that we sing that we are all little shining uh, screws. And we don't have our own um, admiration or inspiration. The only thing uh, we will be happy is let the party put us wherever the party wants, uh, wants and we will just be happy they are shining like a little school, little school in the socialist machine. 
And so that's really what's going on today in, a, in America. They don't encourage individual success. They want to train the, uh, the, the kids, the students to be activists. And so it's in other words, to be revolutionaries. And so it is absolutely alarmingly similar. Was there also um, a degradation of the analog skills that we we had? Um, so the, the, we have now huge, huge deficit in people who are good in the trades. You can just you. There's no electricians or plumbers or any of those skills. No welders. Uh, was there an uh, a a gap in, in, in that? Was was there a deficit in that in, in Mao's China as he was pushing people to be more good revolutionaries, good activists? Um, that I can't quite say about trade. In, in China, you don't get to choose. It's never that you get to choose to do. You were, uh, you were given a job. So it's always you were given a job. And even uh, uh, to uh, um, um, after I graduated from uh, from college, that was 1970, 1982. I was given a job. We were, you know, instead of uh, um, like a celebration of uh, a graduation, we're all sitting there anxiously waiting for our sentence, which is where what job and where you would be working. So I, I, I this can't even compare. So you. Uh, you're given a job and you do whatever and nobody has the inspiration. So you do whatever you have to do to get by. That's why in socialism, there's no productivity. There's no absolute no creativity. So, but here come here. So it's a little different, but I think um, for um, the, uh, um, the elites who want to control uh, the population and control uh, the American people, they need to dumb down. They absolutely need to dumb down everybody. And so instead of encourage uh, individual success, they want to just push people all to the college and get a loan and get into deep debt to study what? Women's study, gender study, political science, and all those use, useless um, uh, 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 subjects. And they come out, complain because they can't get a good job. I've seen, I've seen in uh, my uh, former workplace, Someone got a PhD in history, could not get a job and become a, a receptionist in my company. Well, I think that there's just so so many things that you're you're citing here. I mean, we have a problem with people being being basically over degreed. I mean, I don't, I yes. don't know the term for it, uh, but they're going into debt to get those degrees, and as a result, we now have people who are serving coffee. Uh, you that you. The, they have a four-year degree at least maybe of not a master's and it's not even that they can't find a, a degree or a field for their for their particular expertise it's now that that in order to serve coffee you have to have a college diploma and it's caused a delay in people maturing and, and entering the workforce or entering even their adulthood i think it's very interesting too you talked about how when mao came to power how he cut from K through 12 to K through 10, uh, mm -hmm. and then contrast that with, there was a uh, gentleman, Larry Sharp, who was running for governor of New York back, I believe in 2018. Mm -hmm. And he was a libertarian. So you would think uh, a very against big government. And his solution for so many of the problems within the state of New York was to cut the education system 
to 10. To, and, oh, and the, I did not know thinking, that. Wow. Yeah. His thinking, though, was more along the lines of, well, after 10 years and you have your core education, well, then you could pick going into, not, not your education would stop, you would be able to do a, almost like a pre-college education if you were a college track person, more for a white collar career, or you could go into the trades as uh, as blue collar. And that, what, why were you wasting your time taking uh, taking classes in eleventh and twelfth grade in literature when really you were just somebody who wanted to work with their hands when you could be learning well, those? I think the real key is uh, dumb down of the population and encourage people to to not be successful because successful individuals are a problem for them and individual and uh, who have their own business and work with the hand we all know and I um, uh, talk to a lot of uh, people who come to uh, fix things for me some of them are really happily successful. They don't want that, and they basically all uh, vote for a uh, uh, Republican. <laughs> they they don't want those. They want people who are angry, who are dissatisfied, and uh, blame everything to the system. They make great revolutionaries. Communism is a religion of the malcontent. I, I is probably the, the best way. The to more to you have the, those people, the better for their cause. Yes. Uh, I wanted to also talk to you about the, uh, a contrast between what you experienced in the CCP and uh, what you're seeing here happen. Um, and even the, 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 the book, the, and the book is called Mao's America. Mao was the central figure there. Uh, America doesn't have that, or, or do we? Do you mm -hmm. perceive a Mao that, who is on the horizon or maybe in existence, or do you think that maybe one will emerge in the future, or is it going to be a little bit different if this revolution actually comes to pass and it comes to full fruition? That's a great question. Actually, I was asked many times, even by the Chinese, younger Chinese uh, people, uh, friends here, you know, they say, you can't say uh, we have a culture revolution here. We don't have Mao. That's true. And that's what we say history rhymes not necessarily repeat, right? It's rhymes. Okay, in China, there is a mouth, there is a face. In Russia, there is a face, Lenin and later Stalin, okay? And then Cuba, Castro, whatever. Um, yeah, we don't have a face, but that does not mean we don't, uh, we are not experiencing a revolution. And it's a group of people. And, and, and they are, they have a name, it's globalists. They absolutely are the ones. Okay, eventually, if you know anything about um, the communist um, uh, history, you know that eventually there will be a power struggle. And actually, everything we experienced, what happened to Russia, what happened to China, what happened to America, it's not about uh, destroy a tradition. It's, it, it's really, it's about power. So right now, they do all this. They, 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 uh, they import uh, illegals, and then they destroy schools. They, uh, um, 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 they uh, um, do all this gender ideology and really uh, destroy our youth. Uh, all this chaos, all this kind of a craziness, just one goal. It's to destroy this country. For what? For power. And I always tell people, if you understand that there's no such thing as communism, they say, oh, what communism in China? There's no such thing. 
they all use this as a tactic. And the, reason, uh, the, uh, the goal is always power. You think there's a DEI? You think those people really believe in diversity, equity? No, never. It's they just—it's all tactic, and the power, uh, the uh, the uh, the goal is always power, and uh, for few to control. Or in 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 most China, his goal was control the Chinese people. Even though he had as global and big, he was too damn poor because China was in such ruin. But Xi Jinping now has global ambition. But these globalists, their goal is not just a country. It's not just. Uh, the West or America, it's the whole world. And eventually, after they succeed, if we let them succeed, I can guarantee you, there will be power struggle. And eventually, some will be losers, and if even fewer will be the winners. That's always the case with communism. It seems that they've almost developed their their tactics they've gotten a little bit better they were they're being more patient now they're not really yeah. the strong man is is willing to sit back now and have strange bedfellows if we'll we'll, we'll hash it out at the end uh as opposed to immediately surging to the front because then we can put a face on it and then we can confront it and we can kind of stomp it down back into the shadows at least it seems like now at least from a global perspective you know they have the these world economic forums that meet up in davos and i think that a little bit they pull the veil back so they, they flash a little bit of leg um but for right now they're working in concert or at least happy to work in now, concert yes. to, less, to mm -hmm. lesser extent and then pull the mask fully off when it's more convenient for them. You mentioned uh, Xi Jinping. Um, and uh, I don't speak any any Chinese, any any dialect of it. Uh, and you you talked about the naming traditions that get that go on and how uh, people oh, okay. in, in in communist China would name themselves and their, well, their parents would name them, but then they were encouraged to actually change their name to be more yeah. in line with the revolution. And that mm -hmm. you never actually did that. Uh, much to your I, chagrin. I, I want it. <laughs> I wanted my, my parents uh, stop me. Yeah. So in, in China, you are giving a name. It's not like uh, in the West that you have like a, a pre-existing name. You have like a books for name for babies and you, know, you choose one. No, in China, you choose a character. So you're, you're afraid unless it's stupid, you can do just whatever. So mostly, of course, traditionally, parents will choose um words that bring you know them luck fortune and all those things and to be their baby's names and um so it's traditional and then that's four olds and and that need to be um need to be corrected so all the kids would want to change their names and so my name is uh, Xi, which means west which has a connotation of imperialism because the imperialism in the West. So it's a bad name. It's it's not a revolutionary name. So I really want my uh, parents to change my name. And so I want to change into, I don't know what, because Dong, uh, um, which means uh, East, is better. Because East means uh, China, means communism. But a boy in my class had that name already. And, and then we, we have the same family name. So, and I was struggle of getting something. My, my parents said, just tell you uh, classmates that your name is not, it's nothing to do with imperialism. It, it has everything to do with the city I was born, Xi'an. 
and I was able, I was so happy I did not change my name. But my brother was born later, um, and he his name was, his given name was uh, Redguard. Yeah, and right, the, the, it, it's just amazing that everyone's name become Red Guards, Red Revolutionary, and, uh, and and whatever. And we can see from people's name and, and and which age group they are, because a lot of people have revolutionary names. Well, I mean, we sort of have that here with our baby books. There's names that go in vogue and out of vogue. It seems like I, there was a whole bunch of Tiffany's when I was in school. Uh, <laughs> and now- but Tiffany is not revolutionary or not rev. It's, it's neutral, it's just a name. But in China, every word carries um, um, a meaning. And I think in my um, um, uh, book, I've mentioned this story and it's a really, really sad story of uh, um, a young man, he was 16 due to revolution. So he changed his name with the support of his parents into rev, uh, into Red Guards. So his name is Zhang Hongbin, which means Zhang is his uh, family name, Hongbin means Red Guard. So he was really into it. He, 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 he wanted to do the revolutionary work. So one day he heard his mother complaining about Mao at home, privately. You know, guess what he did? like many, many, many young indoctrinated Red Guards did in, in China, he reported his mother and um, his mother got arrested a week, uh, a month later, executed. Um, well, I wanna go back to the Red Guard in a minute, but uh, the, the question I originally asked about, about your name, um, you struck me because the current dictator of China is Xi Jinping. Yeah, yeah. Um, do, do you have any insight into how his name could mean West or does it mean something else? Or no, no, no. It's a different, totally different character. Uh, Xi for Xi Jinping is his family name. Xi okay. for me is my given name. So, but now, yeah, we all end up as Xi. And so I told, I, I told, you know, my followers on Twitter and there are two she's one is a, a dictator one is a, a patriot and that's me. <laughs> <laughs> wow but it's different it's a, yeah different character the sounds right. the same but it's a different character yeah. yeah and and you you mentioned pretty early uh in in your book how most americans really are are unfamiliar with the actual communist revolution that, that happened in china and full disclosure i i knew red guard uh, mm -hmm. but was under the impression that it was actually a lot more organized than it, it was, which to me means a lot, it bodes very poorly for things going on in America right now, because I always thought, well, you, you know, you have these, these different factions and disparate groups going on in America, but they're not really organized. Well, they're actually following the same playbook that, that the Red Guard did. They were kind of this loose, almost Antifa before Antifa yes. was a thing in America. Yeah, it's it's loosely organized, but they were uh, the same group because uh, um, Mao gave open support to Red Guards. So anyone can be, uh, not everyone. In the beginning, it's only good people, like people that has uh, belong to the Red class can be the uh, Red Guards. And all you need is get a, a band, uh, um, an armband, and with that, you have all the power. You have the power to destroy. You have the power to kill. You absolutely are the most powerful. And that's one attraction 
of the revolution for the young people. I think it's same here. When you think about it, it's the same uh, uh, same thing happening here. It's, it's attraction is you are able to go out and do some kind of revolutionary work, which it can be uh, anything, can be uh, um, riots, looting, killing, whatever, but there's no consequence because someone as powerful as Mao were behind them. And same here, they, 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 they uh, I think the, you know you can call it irresistible revolution for the young people. And who wants to sit in the classroom and study when you can go out to the street and demonstrate and shouting slogans and burn things and destroy things and without consequences? And that's what happened in China. That's what's happening in America. The attraction, the uh, attraction of uh, the luring, the lure of the uh, revolution. Was there any sort of uh, pushback uh, or was it all kind of lockstep with what the Red Guard was was motivated, was was motivating, was was germinating? Like here when we had uh, 2020, where the, essentially the country was burning for these George Floyd riots that were from Black Lives Matter and Antifa. There was still, though, I, I believe a sizable percentage of people that were pointing at them and saying, you are a problem. Were, was there any of that in China where they were pointing at the Red Guard saying you're their problem or was it just keep your head down because you yeah. don't want to be swept up? And there, here's again, I'm glad we're talking about this. This is a history rhymes. It's not the same because in America, no matter what, we still have uh, um, rule of law, even though great weakened. And we still have people who are conservative and who know the right right from wrong. But in China, not the case. Mao was in, in control. Uh, and it's a Chinese Communist Party's country. And you don't resist. Or your, your um, fate is, uh, um, well, you know, they get, they get to you, and they destroy you, and they kill you. So I think uh, during the Cultural Revolution, and everyone was in survival mode mode. You want to be on the right side. You want to make sure that you say the right thing, do the right thing, and you will, and so that you don't get into trouble. But even that is not enough. And, uh, and a lot of times people choose the wrong side, especially during the coach, the, uh, the fight between the uh, Red Guards. You can get into the wrong side and then get destroyed. And also, you don't have the luxury to remain neutral. Silence it's violence and nothing new here. That's the same in China. You not just you can't be neutral, you can't be uh, non enthusiastic about the Cultural Revolution. You have to show your enthusiasm, you have to show your support. Even if you, even if you don't, you have to do that. So, absolutely no neutrality, and everyone has to do what what was going on, which is join the revolution, which is to obey the Red Guards. Otherwise, total destruction. We've seen that evolution with the gay pride. I mean, it used to be, well, they should have civil unions and they just want to be able to visit each other in the hospital. And then and then it became, well, it's okay for you. And we're, we're all, love is love. And now it's, you must celebrate it. If you're not going to be out there waving a, a pride flag, then you're obviously a hater as it's just and devolved not further. Only that you can see that the uh, the LGB 
um, movement was hijacked, totally hijacked by T and totally controlled by T. So, so who cares? Now it's like, a, now everything you talk about is T. And now T probably will be ousted by uh, non-binary, right? Oh, we don't know. It will just go on and on. And that is the key of the uh, communist um, movement. They always um, started with something like a legitimate thing, like, a, you know, in, in, in China, the communist revolution and started because there was a lot of uh, suffering, a lot of poverty, a lot of problems. And they, they're going to solve the problem. And so it's not like they said, I'm going to follow me. I'm going to destroy you. No, it's always follow me. I'm going to make your life better. And here's the same thing. They always tell lies, but the lies is sprinkled, sprinkled just a little bit of truth here and there. They always hijack everything and then turn it into a revolution, like environment. I remember coming here, Earth Day, right? We should recycle. We should, uh, you know, protect our earth. What today? We are the polluters. You know, we as human are the problem. So we should get all, get rid of ourselves in order to preserve the planet. That's how they go. That's always, always. That's why it's so uh, um, deceptive. Deceptive. It's just like a, they never tell uh, a hidden uh, lie. It's always sprinkled. Not only with some truths, but also with some just wonderful slogans. You, you know, you were you, you mentioned this uh, this lesbian, gay, bisexual train. I mean, the, the, it goes on and on and on. The the one um, point that you make that in the book, and it's Mao's America. Make sure, guys, that uh, if if you are inclined to to pick up a copy, you get it. Uh, it is on Amazon. Highly recommend it. Uh, I I actually did the audio version because I was listening when I was doing some some driving this past week and and um, and it was very informative. It was is a, a wonderful book. Make sure you get a copy of Mao's America: A Survivor's Warning by our guest today, G. Van Fleet. Um, and one of the moments in the book that uh, was that I was just shaking my head, almost chuckling at, was a, a great point that you made. And this is now not not repeating; it's rhyming is the sexualization and how in Mao's Ch communist China, they defeminized all the women and made to make this a unisex. And in America, we've gone sort of the exact opposite. And we've and the opposite, yeah. No, no masculine men. And, and I know. Masculinize the men. And then we have no feminine women. Yeah. But this is something that I'm even learning because, uh, you know, I, I was born after uh, the communism took over. And, uh, and I'm now uh, spend a lot of time learning what happened before. And what happened before is they, um, they absolutely uh, encourage women to be, um, um, they, they call it to be free, free of uh, uh, sexually freedom. They, and it's called, um, and there must be a word uh, in English, but it's uh, from Russia, and it's from the uh, the Russian communists, and they call it uh, sex is just a cup of uh, water. It's a cup of waterism. I, I don't know, maybe there's... So it's like promiscuity. Yes, and it's just because, what is sex? Sex is the uh, the exploring, uh, exploiting or 
the capitalists want to uh, enslave the uh, uh, women and uh, make them the slave of the uh, um, patriarchy system. So they encouraged that, and they they broke a lot of uh, marriages. And and then after that, well, they don't want that after they took power. So that's another thing that people don't understand. What communists do before and after the power is never the same. So afterwards, they they totally changed. They want to control it. They don't want uh, women going around sleeping with everybody. Now they want um, the, they want women to be absolutely become men. And because uh, they called, they liberate the women in what way? So that they're now free to join, not free, so-called free to join the workforce. Uh, in the countryside, uh, traditionally, a lot of women stay home and do uh, uh, housework. Now they all have to had to go and work in the fields and become part of the uh, um, you know the free labor force of this plantation. So and eventually during the Cultural Revolution, and we were told that there's no difference between men and women. Remember that Biden Biden cited Mao's quotation that women can hold a, a half a sky. Yeah, he did that without knowing that's Mao's uh, uh, quotation. So we were taught same, same. Okay, no difference. We don't. Uh, no need to look different. No need to act different. No need to be different. So we all look like men. You, there's so many photos you can search, and there is a gray, a sea of gray. That women have short haircut and a limited hairstyle. If you violate the rule you'll get into trouble and so we're all like men we're told young girls are told that they were iron girls they're just as strong and they could do just as much hard uh, labor work as men it's always interesting to me that we in we're told now um incessantly how we have to have more women doing everything but women and men are the exact same so that that yeah. contradiction doesn't really hold a lot uh, of water yeah. for me and, and, and also the fact that in certain uh, areas in industries, uh, there, there's no push for equality there. I mean, I don't see a push to have a lot of uh, women roofing or plumbing <laughs> or plumbing. And I see that, you know, like uh, uh, the, uh, the people who take off our trash. Uh, why don't they push DEI there and get half of the women doing the work there? No DEI on road, road crews. No, nothing <laughs> yeah. that requires you to have to actually pick something up and endure a little level of suffering that, look, Garrett and I have talked about it. Men are perishable goods. Women and children are, are way more valuable and they need to be protected, which is why when the Titanic was going down, we put them on the lifeboats first and the men went down with the cello players because we are expendable. Um, and, and also, you know, people don't know. People say the women were treated as, uh, you know, um, second sec uh, um, citizen, second class citizen, that the women for the longest time could not vote. But they also uh, convenient uh, omitted the fact that men were required to be uh, on the military if, for the military service. That means to go and fight and, and, and get killed. And uh, yeah. but eventually, you know, we um, women have um, a right to vote, but there is a reason for a lot of things and then dumb down, simplify. And so people don't know the history. People did not want to bother to know the history. They just get some little fact here, there, then form their thoughts. Like that's, that's what happened in Mao's China. Everyone was dumbed down to 
be non-thinking beings, so we become uh, robots. I'd like to get your your thoughts on this one last thing that's that's always um, mulling around in my head whenever I think of not just China but uh, Soviet Union to everywhere, uh, and I talk even to the history of Marxism in America, and that is a contrast with the the founders or the originators of these ideas that the, the Frankfurt School who planted it in uh, in in America, they all seem to actually even though they were elites. They, they seem to sort of embrace the lifestyle of being a Marxist. They, they kind of live these funky lives where they would coexist in these co-ops and have multiple sexual partners and, and weird situations that they were, let's get rid of the, the nuclear family entirely. And then you flash forward to today and we have these elite communists who say that they believe that we need to eradicate the American family and that gender is on a spectrum and, and all this. But they sort of live traditional lives. I mean, they're married, have families, because that's sort of the best practices for success. Um, in in your recollections growing up during that Cultural Revolution, were the elites sort of living the the lives that they were advocating for, or were they more like our elites? Elites are now living a traditional life, and then saying, "What's good for me is not good for thee." Well, that is a, a kind of a complicated story. First of all, we don't know what the elite lived. When, when I was, uh, we have no contact with the elite. They all come out uh, in meetings or in the, in the media, like, you know, um, authority, you know. But we, we know now more and more of uh, the, uh, um, the time out. And so that was in the uh, early 40s. When when uh, the uh, CCP recovered from the long march, they were almost wiped out, but they they survived, and then they they uh, built their base in a place called Yan'an, to become their new capital, and then attracted, and then they started to, um, um, started to spread the message, and then with the help of American communist Edgar Snow, do you know that, Edgar yes. Snow. Yes, he he wrote for uh, he's a journalist. He wrote for uh, New York Times or whatever. He's a communist. He went there and did a report. Uh, wrote a book, Red Star Over China, and and then made Ch uh, Yan'an the capital uh, of uh, uh, the hope of China. A lot of young young um, people went to China. Uh, uh, went to Thai, um, I'm sorry. Went to uh, Yan'an. I, I I'm 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 getting somewhere. I'm sorry. I'm getting. Somewhere, a lot of uh, a young, uh, educated city girls went there, and that was the time that the CCP uh, top leaders absolutely dumped their uh, comrade wives, and the the wife that went through the culture, the uh, long march with them, the peasant wives got rid of them, including Mao, and then get all the brand new wives, and Mao was one of them. And he got uh, Madao was an actress, and uh, in the in the 30s uh, in Shanghai, and so she become overnight become Madame Mao. So yeah, they absolutely they did exactly what uh, they told other people that you should not do. Uh, but uh, about family, they in China what they did is rhymes, but it's different. They they do uh, they did not encourage. Um, uh, divorce and whatever, but the, what they did is that everyone belonged to them. The children, all the children belong to the party, and that's the education, that the indoctrination. So you can have your family, you can raise your family, but your kids, 
including the parents, they all belong to the party. Here is a little different, right? They, they, they try to destroy the family and try to cut um, the uh, uh, um, drive away between parents and, uh, and, and children. And, uh, and for the same reason, but it's a little different. They want to destabilize the family so that they can control the kids. But in China, they have power. So everyone belong to uh, the CCP. Rhymes, I think, a little yeah. bit. And I mean, we, we, we were told in the 90s it takes a village by uh, former First Lady and Secretary of State and Presidential hopeful Hillary Clinton. Um, and now we're takes seeing marchers in the streets for these tranny madness parades saying, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. Uh, so I think there's definitely a parallel construction going on here. Uh, the name of the book is Mao's America, the author, G. Van Fleet. Thank you so much for joining me today on the American Radicals podcast. You can follow her, everyone, at on X, at X Van Fleet. You leave out the I, correct? Yes, yes. And you can pick up a copy of Mao's America uh, at any bookseller uh, or on Amazon. It is worth your time. It is a great history lesson. She puts a face on it. She had firsthand experience. She's not a history buff. She's not a history fan. She's actually lived history. Uh, and it is a fantastic read. Make sure that you get a copy of it. Gee, thank you again for joining me today uh, on the on the podcast. And uh, let's definitely stay in touch. I want to make sure that I keep pushing out this story to as many people as I can. Uh, and you have a blessed day. Thank you so much. And I enjoyed this wonderful conversation. Bye, guys. We'll see you next time. listening to the voice of the suspendables on the american radicals podcast follow us on rumble.com slash am rad pod <laughs>